BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This week on The California Report magazine, we're going back a decade. Barack Obama was about to be inaugurated as the first black president of the United States. People were throwing around the term post-racial, but that wouldn't last. The killings of Michael Brown, Eric Garner, Trevor Martin clearly shows that we don't live in a post-racial society as many expected when you were elected. (laughs) Well, I didn't expect that. You probably didn't either, but... That's Obama talking to journalist Jorge Ramos. And the nod was implicit. People of color knew the election of a black president didn't mean racism was over. Those names Jorge Ramos rattled off, Michael Brown, Eric Gardner, Trayvon Martin, would all come to be connected to Black Lives Matter. But the story of the movement for black lives begins in some ways with another name. For us, right, for those of us who created Black Lives Matter, um, it really does kind of start with Oscar Grant. I'm Sasha Coca, and this week we're devoting our whole show to one story from KQED's Sandia Dirks. How the killing of a 22-year-old by a transit cop in Oakland sparked a new movement for racial justice. And just a word of caution, there's some audio in today's show that some of you may find disturbing. We start on New Year's Eve, 2008. I was at home. I can remember watching the new year come in on television and the ball drop and all that. One happy new year! I was at home actually in our living room watching TV. I had the TV on. It was kind of watching me really. And laid down to go ahead and get some rest and was just troubled in my spirit. And I could feel Oscar pulling at me. Cephas Johnson felt the presence of his nephew, Oscar J. Grant III. It was like a tug. At approximately 1240, I went on and texted him and I said, Uncle love you, God loves you, God loves your family. A couple hours later, Oscar's mom, Wanda Johnson, was half asleep in her living room when she got a phone call from her son's fiance. She had said Oscar had been shot. I jumped up screaming and we went to the hospital. I got a call, it must have been three, four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning from my sister, saying Oscar had been shot. I'm like, what? And he's in the hospital. Some of Oscar's friends were there, and I started asking them what happened. They started telling me he wasn't even doing nothing. He was laying down. I said, what do you mean? And they said, a police shot him. Specifically, BART, Bay Area Rapid Transit Police. Their cell phone video, shaky, grainy, a packed BART train, New Year's Eve. People pulling out their phones. A police stop. Black men against the wall. Then one on the ground. 
One white police officer holding him down, another white man in uniform, Bart Officer Johannes Messerly above him, reaching for his holster, pulling out a weapon, leaning back, pointing and firing. Cell phones recording it all. Was totally unaware that it was a police officer that shot him when I first got the word. Then when I when I began to get the word of, of him being shot by the police officer, uh, of course many questions came in my mind. Sadly, some even wondering, well, what did he do? It was a scene that no parent wants to see. Um, he had machines all over him being hooked up to him. He had, you know, the thing in his mouth and his nose and his arms all over. Because of the way he had gotten shot, he just shattered and put a, fragments of it put holes in his all, all his, his, in his inside. When they tried to do blood transfusions, it was just spreading all out over his body. The more they tried to fill him with blood, the more it poured out. He was declared dead at the same hospital where he was born. We cried, we hugged, we cried, we hugged. And we just um, started talking about all the memories with Oscar. As a kid, Oscar was always funny. Um, he loved to go to church. Um, at church, he would be the loudest person singing in the choir. Even when he sat in a, sit with me in service, when he, it wasn't his time to sing, I would be covering his mouth. I would be taking him out to church so he wouldn't be so loud. But that was the personality he had. Oscar Grant died of a gunshot wound fired by a BART police officer. He was unarmed, shot in the back, lying on the cold concrete on his stomach by one BART police officer while another held him down. Uncontrollable grief grips the hundreds who file into the church to mourn Oscar Grant's death and remember his life. Oscar, man, we would like to start just by saying we love you and we will miss you so much right now. A family member shares her favorite memory of the day Grant's daughter was born. Oscar came to the hospital. He was so proud. And he drove up in his goldish brown scraper. And he had these huge pink It's a Girl flags on each side. <laughs> and my Aunt Vicky said he drove those around until they disintegrated. I actually still have the flags. A mother keeps these things. Flags. Reminders. At the same moment Wanda was mourning her son, at almost the same moment he died, another Oscar was in the process of being born. A face in a movement. He was so young, only 22 years old. That picture of his face, the black cap, his still round cheeks, and gap-toothed smile. Or the one of him holding his small daughter up in his arms. Another Oscar Grant was coming into the world who would come to represent the lives of so many black men, taken by police. Almost instantly, local artists started responding, posting new music to YouTube. What's up, everybody? This is Amp Live. And I'm here today to give my respect and uh, my prayers out to Oscar Grant and his family. This is a song that I did with Mr. Fab. How long was it? Came out the other day. See, I'm from a city, man, where police brutality ain't nothing new to us, man. It's an Oscar Grant that happens every day. I'm 
goes to all the young black mothers whose son was killed, a young black brother, police killed, had given will, killed Oscar Grant like they did Bobby Seale, killed Jody Mack, home fruit In the decade to follow, his face would join the faces of others, an album of the dead. Trayvon Martin, a 14-year-old in a hoodie, buying Skittles killed by a self-proclaimed neighborhood watch captain. Eric Garner, whose last words were, I can't breathe, choked to death by New York police. Michael Brown, unarmed, shot by a police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. For hours, his body left on the street where he was struck. Those are some of the deaths that were still to come. There are also those that had come before. A decade before Oscar Grant, Amadou Diallo was killed in a barrage of 41 bullets. Police mistook his wallet for a gun. In 2006, Sean Bell was killed by four officers, also unarmed, also in a shower of shots, both in New York, both black men. Bell's mother and fiancé called Wanda Johnson after Grant was shot, almost to say, welcome to this terrible, terrible club, the one no one wants to be a part of. They called me, and they wrote me a letter encouraging me. Um, And I didn't want to be encouraged. I didn't want to, you know, talk to anybody. I didn't want to deal with it. She sat in the dark with her pain, the what-ifs and what-could-have-beens of a parent whose child dies a violent death. Because at that time, I was blaming myself for it. I blamed myself for a long time. I instructed him to take Bart. He was like, no, Mom, we're just going to drive. I said, no, Oscar, you're just going to take Bart. From him taking Bart, I never would have imagined him that he would lose his life um, by somebody who's hired to protect and serve. There was something different about Oscar Grant's death. Not that he was young, black, unarmed, killed by police. The reason Oscar lived on, this second Oscar, was because so many saw him die. Two new videos surfaced today in the shooting death of a young man, New Year's Day, at an East Bay BART station. By One of the young ladies who videotaped, she called, she got a hold of us and said she had a videotape of what happened and that Oscar shouldn't have died. And we told her, just take it to the media then, you know. Video by 19-year-old Karina Vargas. You can see this is the BART door. I'm in my BART train. They're pulling these boys out of the train. And that's what she did, and then it started coming on television. He's being cooperative, then they start, you hear the gunshot, turn back, look at his face, he's in pain. I couldn't even watch it. I ended up watching it. Oh, maybe it was, I don't know, it was a long time after. When you, when you did first watch the video? I screamed. When I first saw that video, I was, uh, I just couldn't believe, I was just so overwhelmed with rage that I actually passed out. And when I came back around, it was revealed to me how blessed I was to have text Oscar an hour and a half before he's murdered, said, Uncle love you, God loves you, God loves your family. Oscar got that text. Cephas Johnson knows that. Oscar's fiance told him he did. He saw it. He smiled. It was cell phones that made the other thing possible, too, not just the late-night text message. Those videos. Videos that sort of changed everything. The first case that we had was cell phone video. That had never happened before. Civil rights lawyer John Burris came to represent Grant's family. 
The realities of how someone dies, uh, seeing it on the video, um, it can be the truth. I was looking for the part where Oscar was fighting him or looking for the part where he was running from him. I was looking for that part to say that, oh, maybe it was justified. When it wasn't there and it isn't there, Oscar did nothing to deserve to be killed. I've been in the Rodney King case many years ago, and we had the video there, but that was a home video that a guy just happened to be looking out his window when he sees all of this. But this was cell phone video, so this was all new. The footage would go viral in a different way than things go viral now. At first, like a trickle, spreading in whispers and phone calls, that second Oscar slowly roaring to life. That's how an Oakland activist named Cat Brooks heard about it. Before Oscar Grant, Brooks was an aspiring actress. She'd been away for the holidays. She was just pulling up to her apartment in Oakland when she got a phone call from another activist friend. And this guy said, hey, sister, hey, sister, do you know where the rally is at? And I said, what rally? He said, for that brother they shot. I said, who? He said, man, they shot that kid in his back. And there was, there was Oscar's murder, um, sort of on replay. I just kept watching it. I watched it over and over and over and over and over again. I got sick. Uh, I was shaking. I was so angry. I was crying. And um, it's what I've, I, I've called since that time my enough moment. Um, I just had enough. You know, he wasn't the first black man, certainly wouldn't be the last one to be killed by police, but there was something about him at that particular point in time, the brutality of it, the viral nature of the video. I, I don't know. That video with the eerie silence before and after the shot, almost like a pause, an audible hole cut into the world that Oscar fell, was pushed through. That, unbeknownst to me in that moment, would change my life forever. You're listening to the California Report magazine. I'm Sasha Coca, and on this week's show, we're looking back at the killing of Oscar Grant 10 years ago. He was 22 years old when he was shot at an Oakland BART station by a transit police officer. His death was recorded on what was then a pretty new technology, eyewitness video shot on a cell phone. The video went viral, galvanizing a new generation of activists set the groundwork for a movement, created networks ready to mobilize when other young black men, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, were killed by police. Reporter Sandia Dirks takes us back to early 2009 when protests erupted in Oakland. We're not going anywhere until we see justice. The streets of Oakland swelled with people. You can hear the way unspeakable grief walked side by side with rage. The way chants center a crowd, giving them a heartbeat. People chanted justice, wanted justice. They wanted Johannes Messerly, the officer who had shot and killed Oscar Grant, to be held responsible. Messerly had resigned from the force, gone to Nevada, but he hadn't been charged with any crime. By now private citizen would have been arrested. That's Alameda County Supervisor Keith Carson. Here's then-Oakland Mayor Ron Dellums. Because of a lack of communication over the last 
several days. People in our community lost faith in the process of the investigation going forward. Lost faith in Bay Area Rapid Transit, lost faith in the district attorney's office by virtue of the fact that there was this pregnant pause, this tremendous silence. And in that vacuum, anger, grief, rage, reared its head. It's almost funny if you think about it, how the term we use for social change led by citizens is called movement. The suffragette movement, the civil rights movement, the movement for black lives. Funny because of how slowly it takes for change to happen. The act of protest can be like trying to move a mountain. The only way water can cut into rocks is with time and pressure. And sometimes, lawyer John Burris says, in small ways, it works. The community came together, put enough pressure on the district attorney uh, to get a a prosecution. But for that pressure, there would have been no uh, prosecution. Johannes Messerly is in jail in Nevada this morning. He surrendered last night after learning there was an arrest warrant out for him. He was charged with murder. Messerly at first had said he thought Oscar was going for a gun, that the shooting was justifiable. Later, his story would crystallize into his defense. He had reached for his taser, he said. When he stood above Oscar and fired the fatal shot, he thought he was tasing him, not shooting him. There's a moment in the video after the shot when Messerly recoils and looks shocked. He clasps his hands to his head. You could interpret from this that he did, in fact, not mean to kill Oscar. As much as videos show you what happened, it's what they miss, what they can't tell us, what is going on inside people's minds that can matter, especially in a criminal trial. A trial moved to L.A. A judge decided the Bay Area was too explosive to hold the trial, too angry. A former transit police officer who is white has just been convicted in the shooting death of an unarmed black man at a BART train station in Oakland, California last year. Johannes Messerly was convicted of involuntary manslaughter, innocent of second-degree murder, sentenced to two years, what Burris calls a lunch break. The jury's decision uh, to me was a compromise decision. Messerly was a compelling witness. Uh, he uh, was very emotional on it. And, and in police cases, the police get the benefit of the doubt for the most part. You could see factually how it could be murdered, but then you can't have murder if you believe anything he has to say. Uh, and, and plus he had no history uh, of being a bad guy. The other guy was. The other guy, Officer Anthony Peroni, the one who held Oscar down with his knee witnesses say on Oscar's neck. Burris believes it was Peroni, called to the BART platform by reports of a fight on the train, who escalated everything. Peroni, who was the culprit, and when I say culprit, he is the instigator of this. He is the one that went on the train and yanked the young man off and was basically the one that engaged in a physical altercation with Oscar when it was unnecessary. Peroni was eventually let go from the BART police force. He joined the army. I definitely remember being tear gassed, which sucked. People were getting up in the streets. Alicia Garza lived down the street from Fruitvale Station. A few years later, she would be one of the founders of Black Lives Matter. 
Alicia tells this story about this bar, Café Van Cleef's, this iconic Oakland bar right around the corner from City Hall, from the plaza where so many protests happened. This was before downtown Oakland was filled with businesses. City Hall staffers, nonprofit advocates, and just everyone really would drink at Van Cleef's. It's a bar known for its dark corners stuffed with plaster statues and carnival beads, and for the grapefruit juice they freshly squeezed to make greyhounds. It came to be known, too, for keeping a tear gas kit behind the bar to help protesters. I remember one evening I was in there uh, finishing up a meeting, and there was, like, protests happening. And I remember somebody running in, and a cop was running after them. And I remember um, the door guy stopping the cop and being like, you cannot come in here, and, like, pulled the gate down. The owner put a sign outside of Van Cleef's. I am Oscar Grant. We then slapped his face on a poster and took to the streets. And very soon, Oscar Grant became an international symbol uh, around police brutality, police violence, police terror. Oakland activist Kat Brooks. That was also the time of Arab Spring. People, um, you know, on the other side of the world that were engaged in their own revolution had signs that said, I am Oscar Grant. And I carried a great deal of guilt for a very long time around not properly having engaged her. Her, Oscar's mother, Wanda Johnson, who was absent from all this furor, who was grieving. A lot of the model of Kat's work now, her anti-police violence work, depends on working with families. That's a lesson she learned from Oscar Grant. There were other lessons, too, learned the hard way. Groups that came together and fell apart, like a coalition Kat formed right after Oscar's killing. That coalition would last for about three weeks, and then it sort of dissolved. And um, black folks and brown folks, you know, went back to work, and very well-meaning white allies stepped in to lead the charge. And there were a group of us black folks that thought that black folks should be leading. That was another big part of the discussion. Who gets to make decisions? How does white privilege play a role inside the struggle for racial justice? And who puts their bodies on the line in the act of protest? And those were some very difficult conversations during the Oscar Grant days. Very, very difficult. It's hard work, movement work. Long hours, no pay, little glory. And the wins when they do come are small. For people like Alicia Garza, they often don't feel like wins at all. Having that cop go to jail for 11 months of a two-year sentence was not justice. The fact that we could have these debates about was it voluntary, was it involuntary, rather than why the why the f- do we even have police on BART? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why do we have that? And why do they carry guns? These were the conversations happening in people's living rooms and kitchens. Conversations that deepened beyond Oscar. I think it forced people to, like, really understand the nuances of, like, what you're up against and what does systems change actually look like. And so it's really important that as organizers around this particular issue, we are not just reactionary, we are also visionary, which I guess was another lesson in terms of Oscar Grant. It was was not just about responding when the state kills us, about what do we do to get in front of the state killing us in the first place. And the only way that we do that is by building alternative models, but also by engaging in policy work at the local, state, and federal levels. Katz Group, the Anti-Police Terror Project, co-sponsored two state-level bills last year, including a bill that just went into effect on New Year's, the anniversary of Oscar's death. It provides the public with greater access to police officers' misconduct and disciplinary records. 
Black Lives Matter and other movements for black lives, even if they haven't yet changed the system, have changed the narrative. Oscar's mom, Wanda Johnson, has also emerged as a leader as Oscar Grant became Trayvon Martin, became Michael Brown. She's one of the mothers of the movement. Now it's her calling other mothers who have lost their children to police violence. She still mourns Oscar, her son, but she knows how much Oscar the symbol has meant. You know, I meet so many people. Oh, my God, you're Oscar's mom. Can I give you a hug? You know, um, she wanted to share love. And... Um, Then I go home and I say, oh, Oscar, you know, and I'll say a couple of things to him. And I know he can't hear, but I'll just say, you know, something to him. And I'll say, well, just come hug me, you know, and I know he can't. But, you know, I I come home and I grieve it privately. The fight for racial justice, she says, is a marathon, not a race. It requires you know, the community not to grow weary, but to continue to press, continue to fight and continue to walk, continue to march, continue to protest, continue to cause the economy to lose economic power. Um, And when you do that, our system is forced to make a decision. Wanda's brother, Cephas Johnson, has been out there on the front lines from pretty much the beginning. He quickly got a nickname, one first given to him by Oscar. Oscar was my first nephew. And so, Uncle Bobby, Uncle Bobby. When Oscar was murdered, really, that's all they knew me by. And the next thing I knew was other young men that I didn't even know would say, Unc, how you doing? Unc, man, thank you, Unc. And I took that very personal because I felt like I was their uncle because... They loved Oscar. Oscar became what could happen to all these kids, and they became frightened. So Oscar Grant became a rallying cry for protection, for it not to happen to them. Dear Oscar Grant, dear Oscar Grant. Dear Oscar Grant, as I craft this tweet on a southbound BART train that's pulling into West Oakland, there's not a single trip through Fruitvale Station where I don't remember your name. As an African-American male myself, my grandmother used to always uh, be afraid for me to go out on New Year's, the 4th of July, holidays like that. It used to always annoy me. And I remember one year a tragic situation happened. It basically reaffirmed everything she was afraid of. And it's sad to say there's still crimes of similar nature being committed against our people every single day. Your life and your death taught me that, you know, you could die any day. Everybody will remember you, so your name lives on. My name is Anetchi. Darren Hollister. I'm from Richmond, California. My name is Andrew, and I'm from San Jose, California. You know, I never met you, but I love you deeply. And until I take my last breath, I will say your name. I've heard it said that Oscar Grant was the Emmett Till of his generation, the way Till's mother demanded that his beaten, bloodied face be shown in an open casket for all the world to see. Because people saw Oscar's death on their television screens, on their computers. He became a face of the movement. But the question isn't which one, Oscar Grant or Trayvon Martin or Tamir Rice, was our generation's Emmett Till. The question is how we live with the fact that there are so many. A graveyard's worth. More. Many whose names we don't say ten years later.
That's the California Report magazine. Thanks to reporter Sandhya Dirks for bringing us that story. Thanks also to the KQED Arts team for their Dear Oscar Grant project. Pendarvis Harsha, Lena Blanco, Nastya Voinovskaya, Sarah Hotchkiss, and Gabe Moline. You can read some of those letters by heading to our website, californiareport.org. Our technical producer is Seal Muller, with additional engineering from Katie McMurrin and Rob Spate. Our director is Susie Racho. Cameron Frazier composed and performed the original score for this piece. Julia McAvoy edited the story. Victoria Mauleon is our senior editor. Our team includes April Domboski, Nina Thorson, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Koka. Thanks for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from College Futures Foundation. More graduates for a thriving California. Learn more at collegefutures.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems and the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.